Well, guys, thanks so much for being with us this morning. It really is great to be here in person and be able to worship live together. I think this is our fourth week back, and just every week I think I have a, a new appreciation for how much I missed it when we were gone for those, you know, six or seven weeks we weren't able to get together. Uh, if you're new here, and if I've never had a chance to meet you, my name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Logan, and periodically I get the opportunity to give the message on Sundays. And today we're in the second week of a, a new sermon series we started last week called The Church Has Left the Building. And what we did last week and what we're going to do throughout this series is we want to make sure that we really bring, bring clarity to what we mean by the church. Because the church is not a building. I mean, we're grateful for these facilities that we have, but this building is not the church. Uh, the church is not an organization. In the New Testament, the word that's translated into church is ecclesia, and it literally means the called out ones, and it's used 116 times in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, the church is a group of people who've been called out of the world and called unto God. Today, the church is anyone who has been called out of the world and called unto God. Anyone who is placing their faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and a right relationship with God, anyone who has done that, you are his church. You are one of his called out ones. So you are the church. Now, last week we looked at the essential message of the church. And the essential message of the church is the gospel. It's the good news. And the good news actually starts with some very bad news. And that's this, that there is a great chasm between us and the perfect and holy and righteous God who created us. And that chasm is sin. And we're all guilty of it and we all know it. And the news gets even worse and that's that the wages of that sin, according to God's word, is death. And none of us can overcome our sin problem by ourselves because God's standard is absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. But God in his great mercy and his great love towards us sent his son Jesus Christ who was able to live the perfect life that you and I can't live. And he went to the cross and he paid the debt that you and I should have paid. And then after three days he rose from the grave proving that he is who he says he is, and that he has power over sin and death. That is the essential message of the church. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, that I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if Alpine or any other local expression of the church ever has a message other than that as their essential message, you need to find another local church. And today we're going to look at the essential mission of the church. Now, if you're here today and you're just checking out this whole following Jesus thing, I just want to be honest with you. I kind of want to warn you that this message is primarily for those who've already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But I would encourage you, don't check out. Hang in there with me because I think there's something valuable here for you. Because to me, one of the most exciting things about the Christian life is that it's a life with purpose. It's a life on mission. You know, we all seek that. We're all created that way. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that the only way ultimate purpose can be found is through Jesus Christ in relationship with him. Now, for those of us who've already placed our faith in Jesus Christ, I want to warn you, today's message is probably going to sting a little. I know it stung me when I was preparing for it. So the essential mission of the church is go and make disciples. 
One of the things we're going to see today is how the first Christians almost got sidelined from that. Even at the very beginning, they almost missed out on their essential calling. And when we think of getting sidelined, we usually think of an athlete who gets sidelined because of an injury, right? That's pretty common. I mean, for those of us who are sports fans, we probably all can think of a time when one of our favorite athletes got sidelined. Or maybe a time when one of our favorite teams lost the big game because one of their key players was sidelined due to injury. I know for me, when I was thinking about this idea of being sidelined, I thought about my oldest son, Caleb. Uh, when he was a sophomore in high school, he broke his collarbone in like the third game of the season against Stansbury High School. And he was sidelined for the rest of the year. He never got back on the field. And it was a long season. <laughs> uh, we ended up making it all the way to the state championship game that year. And I remember during that game, seeing him on the sidelines and knowing that he wouldn't be able to get in, just being heartbroken for him. Because I knew he'd probably never have this opportunity again. I mean, you don't just walk into the state championship game every year, and I was afraid he'd never experience that, and, and he never did. We never made it back there. He never got the opportunity to play in that game. And, and some of you right now, if you were to ask him what was that like, he would tell you it was no fun at all. In fact, it was miserable because it was week after week after week of practice after practice after practice and game after game after game, and he never got to play. He never got off the sidelines. And I think for some of you, that's what the Christian walk feels like for you. You're just sitting on the sidelines, and so you've never experienced the real joy and excitement that only comes when we engage in the mission of making disciples and of helping people pursue God. But the reality is the stakes are much higher in our Christian life if you and I get sidelined than they are in any athletic competition. Because people's lives are at stake, their eternities are at stake. And so I want to talk today about three ways that if we're not careful, you and I can get sidelined from the mission. And the first thing that I want to talk about is that we can get sidelined by ignorance. See, many Christians get sidelined by ignorance. They don't know their mission. But Jesus gave a clear final commandment, and it was go make disciples. Now, I don't think most of us can claim this as an excuse I think most of us, if we grew up in the church, we know that we're supposed to be on mission. We know that we're supposed to be about the business of making disciples. But I don't want anyone at Alpine Logan to ever be able to say, I wasn't taught that. So hear me loud and clear, church. You as the church, you as his called out ones, your primary mission is go and make disciples. We see that in Matthew 28, and I'm sure if we grew up in the church, most of us are familiar with this passage. It's called the Great Commission, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. I mean, could Jesus have been any clearer? Is there anything ambiguous about this command? But yet so many of us don't do it. Now, I know most of us have heard of this as the Great Commission, but today I want to give it another name. I want to call it the Final Commandment. This is the last commandment that Jesus gave his followers before he ascended into heaven. Now, we don't look at Jesus' other commandments as optional. Why do we look at this one as optional? We don't say, well, you know, God said don't lie, but that doesn't really apply to me. We don't say God said do not steal, but he was really mainly talking to the pastors and the church leaders. He wasn't really talking to me. You know, God said love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, but I'm an introvert, so that doesn't really apply to me. We don't do that with his other commands, so why do we do that with this command? 
because it was a command. Look at it this way for a minute. Suppose that you and your spouse are going off on vacation. And let's say it's an anniversary trip, so you're leaving the kids at home with a babysitter. And, and you tell them you love them, and you, know, you leave all the instructions. And you leave a note on the counter that says, hey, love you guys. Make sure you clean up your room before we get back. Now, when you come back from vacation, eventually you're going to ask them, did you clean your room, right? Hopefully it's not the first thing you say when you walk in the door, but eventually you're going to say, did you clean your room? How would you respond if your kids said, well, no, we didn't clean it, but we memorized the note. Make sure you clean your room before we get home. In fact, Dad, we memorized it in the King James Version for you. Therefore, go thou and cleanest thy room before we return, right? You'd be like, well, I didn't ask you to memorize it. I asked you to do it. See, God didn't ask us to memorize the Great Commission. He doesn't care if you know how to say it in Greek. He just wants you to do it. I mean, think about the setting in which Jesus issues this command. These are literally the last words that he has with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. I mean, this is one of the most important things he wanted to communicate. There were hundreds of things Jesus could have shared. He could have reminded them to spend time in the scriptures. He could have reminded them to not neglect meeting together. He could have reminded them to be a people of prayer. He could have reminded them to be generous or to be forgiving. And all of those things are important. And in fact, Jesus did command us to do all those things. But with his last time with his disciples, his last words before he ascended, he said, go make disciples. That's how important it was to Jesus. We see this final commandment again in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It reads, but you will receive power on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love that first line, but you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes. See, God doesn't just command us to go make disciples. He empowers us to do it. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells inside of us. We have access to the very power of God to go out and accomplish this mission. And then where did Jesus say we would be his witnesses after we're empowered by the Holy Spirit? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, they probably didn't say it out loud, but I bet there were a couple of disciples who were like, wait, wait, wait a second, what, Jesus? You want me to be your witness in Jerusalem? Jerusalem, the city where they just crucified you? The city where the religious leaders would just as soon kill us too as to hear us talk about you? You want us to be your witnesses in Judea? The place where you spent most of your earthly ministry and you performed all these amazing miracles right in front of these people and the majority still didn't believe in you? You want us to be your witnesses in Samaria? Samaria? We hate the Samaritans. We were raised not to even talk to the Samaritans. You want us to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth? Jesus, we're fishermen. We're simple tradespeople. We don't have the training or the finances to do that. And when we think about those excuses, we can probably relate, can't we? I mean, most of us have that Jerusalem. We have that place that's close to home, but we know it's going to get contentious when we start talking about God. Maybe it could be in our workplace. Maybe it's in the locker room. Maybe it's in the classroom. Maybe it's at a family reunion. We all have that Judea in our lives, that place where the works of God seem so obvious to us, but for whatever reason, the other people just don't see God at work there. We probably all have that Samaria, 
that location or that people group that if we're really honest, we don't love as much? That if God were to pour his wrath out on them, we would kind of feel like they're just getting what they deserve? And most of us don't have any intention of going to the ends of the earth. But like the first Christians, guys, we're without excuse because he has commanded us to do it and he has empowered us with the Holy Spirit. God never calls us to do something that he doesn't empower us to do. Don't get sidelined by ignorance. The second way I think Christians get sidelined is by information. They seek deeper Bible knowledge, yet they never share the simple message they already know. Now listen, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that biblical knowledge is unimportant. Biblical knowledge is extremely important. It's through God's written word that he's primarily revealed himself to us and what he's like. Biblical knowledge is very important. But that knowledge should move us somewhere. If it doesn't move us somewhere, then why do we do it? As I spend more and more time in God's word, it causes me to love him more and to love people more. And if I love people, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So I've had to ask myself, is my biblical knowledge, is it puffing me up? Or is it causing me to, to do something? Is it moving me somewhere? Is your biblical knowledge moving you somewhere or is it just puffing you up? Let's go back to Acts chapter 1 and we'll see that the early disciples struggled with this. It says 1, verse 6 and 7, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So what, what's going on here? What's happening in these verses? Did, did you notice it says the disciples kept asking him? You get the sense they're pestering him about it. It's an ongoing conversation. And what's happened is the disciples are so in the weeds about prophecies and about their place in the coming kingdom that they're getting sidelined from the mission. They're so worried about finding answers to these mysterious questions that they're not about making disciples. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't study prophecies in the Bible. We should. In fact, one of my wife's great interests is to study end-time prophecies in Scripture. And to be honest with you, she's much more knowledgeable about it than I am, and I love hearing her insight. But if that knowledge doesn't move her somewhere, it's a waste of time. It's just puffing her up. Now, thankfully, it does move her somewhere. I've seen my wife engage in disciple-making with our kids, with some of my siblings, with friends, even with strangers. So it is moving her somewhere. But that's what it needs to do. Because whether you stand on the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or pre-wrath end times platform, if the fact that one day people you love who are broken and dirty are going to stand before a perfect, righteous, and holy God, and he's going to judge them, if that doesn't move you to tell them about Jesus, you are just wasting your time. It's just head knowledge. We don't want to be just about head knowledge. So the apostles in these verses make me think of, of two types of Christians. Two types of people that I, I've had many interactions with, and I've even been one myself. The first is the person who fails to make disciples because they're too busy studying theology. I love studying theology. Not that we can ever fully understand God because he's so much bigger than us and he's so set apart from us. But I love reading in his word and learning more about his character, about his attributes, about his great love for me. But when I do that, it causes something to happen. It, it moves me. You know, our men's group is doing a theology study right now on Thursday mornings. And I invite any of you guys, if you can make that fit in your schedule, 
We'd love to have you down here Thursdays at 7. But we just talked about this last Thursday, that if, if the purpose of studying all that theology for the next 10 to 12 weeks is just to get head knowledge, we're wasting our time. It should move us somewhere. The second person who ever makes disciples is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. They never feel like they know enough. The reality is, you'll probably never feel like you know enough. Most of us will never be in a position where we can answer every single question that's thrown at us from a biblical standpoint. It's okay to tell someone, you know what, that's a great question. I'm not sure the answer. Let's go to God's Word and find it out together. That's a great way to have conversations. See, the reality is most Christians today have more theological information than the first disciples ever had during their time with Jesus. And knowledge alone never saved anyone anyway. Your biblical knowledge can't save someone. Only God can save someone. God's not calling us to save people. God's just calling us to be obedient to the mission, and He's the one who's going to change hearts. He's the one who can do what only He can do. Now, we know knowledge is important, and having resources is extremely important. In fact, according to Ephesians 4, the primary job description of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we don't take that lightly. We have poured countless hours and tons of resources and financial resources into our partner page, into the pursuegod.org slash AC partner page. Because we know you need to be equipped. We know you need information. We know you need resources. We encourage every Alpiner to go through the pursuit. And the reason we do that is because it will equip you to lead someone through the gospel. You'll be able to clearly communicate the gospel to someone you care about. And if they place their faith in Christ, you'll be able to help them grow deeper in their relationship with God. You'll be able to equip them to turn around and help the next person. Because guess what? Their mission, once they place their faith in Jesus, just like your mission, is to go out and make disciples. And so if you've never gone through the pursuit, I would encourage you to do that. If you want someone to lead you through it, just go to the website, click on the Request a Mentor link, and I'll be happy to get you connected. I'd be happy to do it myself. We would love to take you through that. I want to talk about one final way that we as believers tend to get sidelined from the mission. And that's that most Christians get sidelined by comfort. In the early church, it took persecution for Christians to leave their homes and make disciples. Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. He said, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's, that's Acts 1.8. I want to fast forward a little bit now to Acts 8.1. It says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. So what had been happening with the early Christians between Acts 1.8 and Acts 8.1? What had they been doing? Had they been on mission? Well, if we go back and read it, we would see in Acts chapter 1 that shortly after Jesus' ascension, the disciples go back to Jerusalem, and, and chapter 1 tells us they were constantly united in prayer. Then in Acts chapter 2, we see that they received the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus had promised. And Peter gives this amazing message, and over 3,000 people are added to their number. The called out ones go from about 120 to over 3,000 in one day because of the power of the Holy Spirit and Peter's message. Then we see the apostles are healing people. They're teaching in the temple. Peter and John get drugged before the religious leaders. The early believers are meeting together. They're eating together. They're praying together. They're sharing their possessions. 
They appoint deacons to meet practical needs in the church. There is a lot of great stuff going on, a lot of awesome things. But we get a glimpse that they're already getting sidelined from the mission because nobody's gone out of Jerusalem yet. Again, Jesus called them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They're kind of in their comfort zone. Chapter 8, verse 1 says that a great wave of persecution began sweeping over the church that day. So there's something significant about that day. What are they talking about? Well, if we were to go back to chapter 7, we would see that that day is the day that Stephen was martyred. It's the day that Stephen was stoned for sharing the gospel. See, Stephen was on mission. Stephen understood that Jesus' command was just that. It was a command. It wasn't optional. So he was reasoning from the scriptures with the religious leaders that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Christ, and they stoned him for it. And his final words were, Lord, please do not charge them with this sin. I think, man, he had to be empowered from the Holy Spirit because that would not be my last words if they were chucking rocks at me. The other thing I see there, guys, with Stephen's martyrdom is there's no promise that if we're on mission that things will go well for us here on earth. Stephen was definitely on mission and he was stoned as a result of it. So anyone who tells you that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and happy if you're on mission is not telling you the truth. They're reading a different Bible than I read because my Bible doesn't make that promise. In fact, it gives me warnings of quite the opposite, that if you're on mission, you're going to face persecution. But I'll guarantee you this, I'll guarantee you Stephen would tell you it was worth it. I'll guarantee you Stephen would do it all over again. As would the George Muellers, and the Jim Elliots, and the Gladys Aylworths, and the Billy Grahams, and the Robbie Zachariases, and the people in this very room who are on mission for Jesus. I really believe that comfort can sideline us from the mission as quickly as anything in the American church. I mean, if you think about it, in the American church, the comforts that we experience, we've had churches fracture over the color of the carpet in the chapel, over the fact that we do or don't use an organ in our worship music, over the fact that the worship leader had rips in his jeans when he gave the message. But churches who are under persecution don't have time to squabble over trivial things like that. They're too focused on the mission and too empowered from the Holy Spirit to let things like that distract them and sideline them. That's why you see the church having explosive growth in Asia right now under immense persecution because they're focused, they're on mission, they're not distracted. And so the number of called out ones in Asia is growing day after day after day right now. And we see that that started from the very beginning. The New Bible Commentary says on this passage in Acts that it was persecution rather than deliberate policy that was the reason for the first real missionary thrust in the church. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. See, for the early church, at the beginning, Jerusalem was their comfort zone, and it took persecution to scatter them. But once they were scattered, everyone was on mission. We read in Acts chapter 4, it says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. It doesn't say the apostles preached it, although they did. It doesn't say that the pastors and the church leaders preached it. The believers preached it. Everybody was on mission. Everybody understood their calling to go and make disciples. And as a result of that and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the number of called out ones grew day after day after day. So I want to ask you guys a question, a question that I've asked myself this last week. What is your comfort zone? And what's it going to take for God to get you out of that comfort zone and get on mission?
You know, I wonder if maybe that's part of what God is using this whole COVID-19 thing for. I don't know. God's thoughts are way above my thoughts. His ways are way above my ways. And maybe part of this is he's using it to get us out of our comfort zone and get us out of our rut. At the beginning of the service, I shared how thankful I was to be worshiping with you in person today, and I, I am. I'm super grateful. Over the last 10 weeks, I've lost count how many times I've heard someone say, I can't wait for church to get back to normal. I've even said that myself. But what does that say about what we think normal church looks like? Is normal church coming together once a week and meeting in a large room and a large group and singing some songs and drinking some coffee, listening to an amazing sermon, maybe mediocre if I'm the one giving it, hugging a few friends and then going about our business? Is that normal? All of those things are good things, except maybe the last one of going about our business, but all those things are good things. But guys, if that's what normal is, I don't want church to go back to normal. Normal church should be about making disciples. When God's called out ones are doing what we're supposed to do, when we take the equipping from the Holy Spirit and we're on mission, building the church should be happening day after day. We should be helping people pursue God. So we should either be having conversations with people who don't know Jesus and introducing them to Jesus, or we should be talking with people who do know Jesus and we should be helping them grow in their faith and we should be equipping them to help the next person. That should be normal. That should be happening day after day after day, week after week after week in God's church. Has that been happening for us the last several months? I would ask, has that been happening for us the last couple of years? And if not, why not? <laughs> like, what are we waiting for? We have all the resources. We have the command. We have the power from on high, the Holy Spirit who calls us to go out and make disciples. Guys, I know this. There are people in your life right now who need you to step up and engage with them. Do you guys know anyone who's been experiencing anxiety during this whole COVID thing? We all do, right? There's a great conversation in the library called Calm My Anxious Heart. I would encourage you to email that to someone that you know has been struggling with anxiety and then offer to have a conversation with them. Guys that are in here, do you know somebody that's struggling with porn? Statistically, you do. There's a great conversation on the website, The Lies That Porn Will Tell You. Now, could that be an awkward conversation? Sure. Is it worth having? Absolutely. Our Marriage Basics series has proven practical foundational truths that can help someone that you know that's struggling in their marriage. Or do you know somebody who's trying to discern God's will? There's a great conversation on the library called, Did I Really Hear From God? I could go on and on and on about the resources. See, we have the resources. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the commandment from Jesus. The only thing we don't have is a good excuse not to do it. So that's my challenge to you this week. That's my challenge to me this week. Because let's go and make disciples. Let's be on mission this week. If you're paying attention at all to the chaos that's going on in our country, it's clear to see the world needs more Jesus. We need help, and we need help bad. And we can do that. If you're a parent, start with your kids. Watch the kids' church lesson and have a conversation on it. Go through the pursuit for kids if you haven't done that yet. For the rest of us, send out a link to a conversation of someone you know is struggling. Post it on your social media feed and then watch who responds. And then based on who responds, ask God to give you wisdom on how to follow up. Whatever you need to do, do it. My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would be on mission this week. Just please don't sit on the sideline. Because people we know and love need us. Let me pray. 
God, I just confess I have been, I've been so convicted just preparing for this. Because, God, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk about discipleship on a Sunday, and it's easy to do it in the walls of this building. But even for me, God, how often am I really on mission throughout the week? And so, God, I, I just ask that you'd forgive us. I ask that you'd forgive your church for, for being so just inconsistent about being on mission. And God, I would imagine most of us during this message, you've put someone on our heart. Someone that we know is struggling in one way or another. Maybe they're not a believer and they don't have any hope. But God, it would be so easy to lose hope with everything that's going on. And so I pray that we would be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That we would take initiative. Or God, maybe it's someone that we know that is a believer, but they're just struggling. Maybe they've got an area of sin in their life, or maybe their, their faith is wavering. God, I just pray that we'd have the courage to reach out and have a conversation. God, I love the, I, I love the encouragement from Eddie to not only make disciples, but, but don't just make disciples of people who look just like you do. God, help us to be better about that. Help us to be better about loving everyone and seeing everyone as someone who is created in the image of a perfect and holy God. So God, that's just, my, that's just my plea this week, Lord God, that we would be people that honor you because we're on mission, that we would be obedient to your final commandment. And we thank you, God, that we don't have to do that on our own strength, but that your Holy Spirit empowers us to go out and accomplish the mission. And we love you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.